Hey, this is Allison Strong, actor, singer, songwriter, and you are watching the Points of Experience podcast with Paul Castro Jr. We have such a wonderful soul joining us on this episode of the Points of Experience podcast. It is Allison Strong. I have known Allison for 10 years at this point, as we discover in the episode, which is just so crazy. And we've been watching each other's careers through social media, the blessing and the... Uh, just actually, it is is the, the only thing I want to comment on it is the blessing of what social media really does allow us to do is to see people that we can't necessarily always be with and and watch their journeys and their stories and their growth. Allison is um, one of the best and most giving people in this industry. And I say best because she is, we don't really talk about in the episode, but she's constantly um, from a teaching perspective and involvement in the communities trying to give back. She has worked, um, She's worked on Broadway and musicals like Mamma Mia and Bye Bye Birdie. On film, you guys might know her from the week of with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock on Netflix. She's also been in episodes of The Blacklist, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. She um, is also in a very talented um, voiceover artist and actor, um, working a ton in the New York market with audiobooks, commercials, radio, and all the great stuff that's afforded there. And lastly, uh, if you haven't heard her music uh stay tuned for a lot of information about some of her upcoming music that she will be releasing uh and you can check out her music on spotify uh under allison strong i highly recommend it some of the most beautiful music i've seen and it's and, and what i've come to discover is it's dated so what she's got coming is a whole new transformation of music so we talk a lot about her career starting out as a, at a very young age uh getting to work on Broadway in musicals, some of the experiences she had in her life that kind of led up to that moment and kind of happened at the same time that really kind of uh, shaped what those experiences came to be. Um, her recognition of where she is in her life and the things that bring her joy and the things that don't. It's a really, really good episode for anybody who's interested in the arts in any capacity because she's discovering things about herself that... Um, she really does enjoy and things that she wants to focus on more and things that she wants to explore. And I think that's important for any artist who wants to enrich their their life and in turn enrich their art because the more experiences you have, gosh, there's a lot of experience talk here on the Points of Experience podcast, huh? The more experiences you have, the more I think that you have to bring to any role, uh, especially as an actor, artist, performer. So uh, at this moment, please, if you don't mind, give us a like and subscribe. Uh, review us on Apple and Spotify, all those great places, so more people can discover this wonderful podcast. And this is a little bit of a news here, as I've been requested from many people. Uh, this will probably be available at the time you're watching this episode. I'm going to be offering um, some some one-on-one -on -one coaching myself and classes in some capacity because I felt like it was a really great thing to uh, add for people interested and in, in, in really taking this seriously. So depending upon where you're at, at your in your journey, in your adventure, it might be something right for you, but I really want to start helping people on a more intimate level. So you can check out my website for that, paulcastrojr.com. But without further ado, we've got the amazing, the magnificent Allison Strong on the Points of Experience podcast. <laughs> I miss Jersey. I don't miss that two or eight degree weather you guys had the other day, which I 
I heard. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, we were back to 50 degrees today, so it's a little disconcerting, but very enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, like, great for walks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. you know, that I honestly, if I am being honest, I do miss the, the seasons and the kind of that irregularity. I do miss in a way because it grounds you in time. Whereas people in LA and I've experienced it now where you kind of lose a sense of what, like what month it is even. Cause it's just, it's like Spring eight, time all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird feeling and it, it kind of messes with you. Um, at least coming from the East Coast, I don't really have a sense of where I am and like progress of things like from a year to year basis. It's hard to regulate. Like, what am I doing? When am I supposed to be doing it? Like January disappeared. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's just for everybody. How, did you feel that way for you? Did January just disappear? It did. It moved like um, I had an idea of how the next couple of months were going to go at the end of the year and starting in January. And then coming into February, I made this decision to really take the pressure off and allow things to reveal themselves to me in their own time and to surrender to sort of, I guess, and this is going to sound very uh, hippie-like, but sort of surrender to the universe's timing rather than having my own agenda with it because every time I make a plan, it's like the universe laughs at me. (laughs) I don't, you know, I, I really think that, you know, most people will frame that as being hippie and like it's like oh yeah surrender to the universe heard that a billion times but i really think that that is like framing it when people try to like put that down it's like no because whether you consider that the universe or religion or whatever you believe in in terms of the force of the way that this world works if we put so much pressure on ourselves it's not conducive for anything productive you know no it's not yeah. So I, I think that's actually like one of the best advices and it seems so simple and it seems so hippie as we'll refer to it here. But it's kind of like if you can start there surrendering to whatever it is, where you are, what it's going to be, not putting so much pressure on yourself. You allow yourself the freedom to fail and learn. And by fail, I mean, you know, not having the um, desired output potentially like you tried your hardest and then something beautiful might happen. Absolutely. And I think it just um, it incorporates peace into your plan as well when you sort of release your timing and that things have to happen on this agenda. You know, you can't plan for unforeseen circumstances or unforeseen luck, Uh, that stroke of luck uh, that, you know, as performers that we all hope for as human beings, that's what we, you know, it's serendipitous. So I I think it's just... um, My favorite phrase is just taking your hands off the wheel. Mm. I like the, um, is it the sham wow or what is the other one? Set it and forget it. I, it's the, what is, what is the, what is that from? I forget which one of those infomercials, but really I do say it all the time and I do, I preach it like I say, I do the audition. And I forget it. it I do the job. Pot commercial. It might be a crockpot. Crock something like that. Sort of like set it and forget it. You know, and it just I, I, one way that I go about with my auditions is that once I print the side, I throw it out right away. That's a great practice too. Well, yeah. I recycle it. Let's be environmentally conscious. So I recycle <laughs> it. Um, but the thing is, every time I really, really want, 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 and grab, 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 it doesn't really happen. So I just try to have fun with what I'm doing in that moment. Mm. Uh, 
you know, say I get to play this part for these 30 minutes that I'm doing this self tape or these 15 minutes that I'm doing these three, you know, this uh, three takes, which is what we're used to sometimes with VO. And then yeah. I just and then I just try to let it go. And then I go and enjoy my life, whatever is in my life as a real human being, because how can you be a performer? How can you I, I'm also a writer, a songwriter. And so how how can I write about life? How can I act as if I were a human being if I'm not really in my life with my yeah. people? You know, uh, the older I get, the more that I realize this is what matters because I spent so much of my I started working quite early. I've been singing since I was eight or so uh, uh, and performing. And then I'm, I made my Broadway debut when I was in college. I was 18 years old. And I yeah. just found that I was trying to escape from my life and into this New York City reality. Um, I didn't want to be a kid anymore. I just wanted to work and I wanted to jump into that dream. I wanted to live that dream. What I wanted for years was to be a Broadway star. Yeah. Um, and I missed out on a lot, you hmm. know, so I missed out on a lot. And so when I graduated college, I think I started to live that, you know, sort of not college experience again, because I was never crazy. I've never been a partier. I was, mm -hmm. I've been quite square pretty much my entire life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just sort of like when actors are like, no, I can't leave town because I'll miss that audition or this sort of thing can happen. I can't travel. I can't do these things. Uh, and now as I get older, I realize, no, now is the time for me to do those things because fun is the quickest manifester. Mm. Um, so when you spent, I find that every time I go on vacation, I book a job. For that's, example, that, that, that's, that always happens to me or two. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree so hard on that. And you know, it, it's, it's so important what you're saying, and uh, I could say it a billion times, having an identity outside of your career is so foundational to your – what makes you independent from everybody else in the audition? What are you bringing in terms of your life and your experience to these characters that's not just a carbon copy of what's written on the specs or the character breakdown? So many people get hung up on like, I am an actor. I must now play these stereotypes that are written within these specs. And there's no humanity that's brought. There's nothing that is from, not that you have to bring your um, trauma. And we're not talking even method acting here. We're just talking an understanding of things that happen in life. Laughter, tragedy, growth, friendship, love. Friendship is so huge too because mm -hmm. friendship takes work. Yeah. And, you know, um, I've had the same group of friends since I was five years old. It's a really rare and unique thing. And uh, my best friend, I met him on the first day of first grade. Mm. And he's been my brother ever since. He's a doctor at Yale. I'm a professional <laughs> actor, musician, and a million other things. And we could not be more different. Yeah. But talking with him, going to visit him, we're traveling together this spring and, you know, he's, he always asks me, you know, um, he was asking me the other day cause we're booking this trip. He goes, is any of your work or your art stuff going to, to get in the way of our trip? And the reality is that's always a reality in my life, but I try my best to respect, respect the time that I have with my people because that's what makes my life and makes all of this rejection so much easier to take. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember I, I was doing a film shoot in November and uh, my really good friend Brenda, who I met in second grade, uh, we're, we can go down the list. Yeah. Um, her father was turning 60 years old and I had a 6 a.m. call for a shoot and it was dinner at eight o'clock and it's dancing, dancing. And I'm like, I'm leaving at 10. And I'm like, OK, I'm leaving at 11. OK, I'm leaving at 12. And you know what? I was just sort of like thinking to myself, one, it's daylight savings. I get an hour, extra hour of sleep tomorrow. And these are the things that in a couple of years I'm going to remember when yeah. my parents are gone, when her parents are gone, when it's we're getting older, these are the moments in life that I'm really going to remember. And it makes me emotional to even think about it that, mm -hmm. you know, I spent years, you know, work, 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 and not really looking up from the audition side, not really looking up from what I was doing to really appreciate my life and all that good that is already here. And that's what really matters. Resonates with me so much. Uh... I definitely, for the 10 years I lived in New York City, even being so close to home, I still even had those pressures of saying, if I try and go home right now, that's, you know, two hours of traffic and then I'm going to be there and then I'm going to be stressing about getting home tomorrow, maybe not, mm -hmm. you know, having enough rest for this audition tomorrow. And I still had those moments where I lost out on a lot of experiences um, and time with family and time with friends and important milestones for people that could have been memories that I really wanted to be a part of. And that is something that really goes hand in hand with an early part of an artist's career. Uh, if you aren't very fortunate and land a very financially uh, rewarding job right off the bat, because yeah. even if you book a lot of things, you know, Starting out for me, I wound up booking some cool jobs, independent films and even studio films. You're not making this money that is what you would imagine in this career where you're like, oh, I'm taking a vacation tomorrow. And then if yeah. I want to make a movie in three months, I'll make a movie in three months and I'll just chill until then. The the hustle kind of continues on to stay competitive and stay even like this was definitely something I thought of at the time. I'm curious about it for you because you started so young. Did you feel the pressures of kind of relevancy or or uh, striking while the irons were hot? Did you feel like the pressure of, OK, I, I'm, I have a foot in the door now. I don't want to take that foot out because I've, I've you know, I've worked on on Broadway or, mm -hmm. you know, I was doing these things. Did you feel that that pressure from behind you to keep your foot on the gas? Well, I think that maybe we should start here with where I began in my journey, and then we can talk a little bit further. I feel like, to be honest with you, the pressure to stay relevant really didn't happen until the advent of social media and this mm. comparison illness that we are all suffering from now. Mm. The, you know, seeing what everyone else is doing and just automatically taking that to mean that you're not worthy, that you don't belong here, that you should probably quit and do something else rather than taking that as, and this is what I do now. When I see my friends doing well, I take that as like the driftwood that I'm on my way to whatever it is that I am looking forward to next. Uh, I think that's a lot smarter and healthier, but I think it's hard with a young brain. So I'm really happy to be honest with you that I wasn't really active on social media <laughs> when mm. I was, when I was younger, because I don't know how these kids can handle this. Um, it is a very stressful thing to think about. And, uh, 
even my experience as well as yours, you know, we're, where social media was kind of coming up as we were coming up in this industry. Yeah. Um, I I think that you know MySpace. There was still there was still MySpace a barrier. MySpace was like definitely like the early high school thing for yeah. for me, and it felt more just like, can I talk to that that cool kid from class later? Yeah. Uh, you know who's in my top eight? You know, <laughs> this is such like a millennial like thing right now. I know. Um, definitely aging myself, but at this point, I'm with you. It's you know what, uh, but anyway, talking about. Um, beginnings and stuff. So I actually, I was a very shy kid. My mom put me in musical theater classes quite early. I wasn't one of those kids who came out of the womb saying, I want to be a performer. I just really, uh, I was really shy and felt like a different person when I was singing. So Mm. I'm not just a voiceover actor. I'm a voice actor I, I and like a voice artist, really. Mm. I, I consider myself not just voiceover or just acting. I started singing and I guess I should have known that because when I was three years old, I was jumping on the table and singing to, um, this Brazilian star Shusha. I'm, I'm Latina. So I'm Colombian. Uh, so there was a lot of Spanish TV going on growing up. And, uh, but even so at home, I was, you know, this bright, you know, kid, you know, making shows in the living room, but at school I was very shy. So my mom put me in musical theater classes, didn't get any solos. And I would sing in the car and beg my mom, please ask my teacher for a solo for me. And uh, <laughs> and my teacher gave me one very reluctantly. And then afterwards, uh, after a presentation, I sang much more from the Fantastics. I was, I think at this time, seven years old. All these parents asked my mom where I took voice lessons. And my mother said she doesn't take any. And they said she's going to be on Broadway one day. And so from there, the seed was planted. And... Um, I started winning singing competitions. Uh, you know, I was the Oscar Mayer Wiener girl in Spanish when I was I like 10 or 11 that. years old, which is uh-huh. hilarious. And um, did, did a lot of like contests uh, in New Jersey and like, you know, nationwide. And uh, it's uh, it sort of solidified my path for me. I actually didn't really think about film. I thought about music first before before anything else and then you know kids do musicals in school so it turned into that and that's what I ended up pursuing in high school I wanted to be in the play and then I when I went to college I was like well musical theater is the thing yeah and um and then when I got to New York I realized wow there's a lot of different types of acting and you know I was maybe 18 years old when I got I was 18 years old yes I booked my first show off of an open call slept on the street waited for five or six hours uh, for somebody to call my name. I was like number like 111 or something like online. My mom was in the car watching me as I slept uh, to make sure that no one would steal my place in line. There were like, must've been like five or 600 kids. And um, this was a Broadway open call. Broadway open call for Bye Bye Birdie. And I was 18 years old. Uh, all the kids from my school went, um, I went separately, but I, I was sleeping on the street I got, my mom said before I went in, uh, belt Allison, because I was always like very careful with my voice. And then mm. I belted my song and, uh, and uh, got a call back and then went for a matinee performance of community theater because I hadn't been cast in the freshmen don't get cast in the musical at school. 
Mm, um, I've heard. Yeah. So, so uh, I was doing community theater, like Little Women. I was playing Joe, and then that turned into my first Broadway show. And I left school for, for a beat. Um, and then from then on, like I, I after I booked my show, that's after that I got signed with an agency, and so. They said, well, we don't just represent musical theater actors. We want to represent actors all across the board. So that was the message to me to diversify. And I said, well, let's just go with the flow. And I booked mm. my first national commercial within one week of signing with Buckwald, my current agency and my agency for the last 13 years. I booked um, a national what was it? Staples easy button commercial. <laughs> I love it. I and love it. And um, it was awesome because, you know, I was in school accruing debt and being an actor was the way that I paid off school. And I still looked like I was like 13 years old. So it all really worked out for me in that way and, <laughs> and did my first Broadway show. But, you know, all those early successes, I think, uh, you know, because things happen so easy and probably they happen so easily because I had no idea that how hard it could be. That's I was so very important. young. Yeah. <laughs> I had the mind of the beginner. So I was just sort of like throwing all of my sparkles in the air and seeing where they landed. You know what I mean? And, uh, and you know, when I graduated college with two Broadway sh credits under my belt, I was in Mamma Mia after that. I met the music director of Mamma Mia when I was at Bye Bye Birdie, and he said, you should audition for this show. It took me two tries, but I got it on the second time. And um, it really is who you know, Paul. I think you know this. I know it all too well. Uh, it's, <laughs> it really is who you know. <laughs> Sometimes I, it's lucky, but a lot of times it's who you know. I think the so. other part of who who you know is also who trusts you. Because it's one thing for people to know who you are. It's another thing to have established that they can trust you with a project. So you had been working on Broadway. You showed this person that you're talented and that you can do the job already. So mm -hmm. there was already a sense of confidence that that created for you because you're doing this job at a level that is extremely, you probably didn't even recognize how competitive that, that was at I the did, time. I had no idea. And it was, it also coincided, I think too, with um, one of the hardest emotional periods of my life when I first booked my first show, um, I didn't have my mother or my aunt or my family with me for six months because my grandmother became paralyzed and uh, my family mm. had to go to Colombia uh, to take care of her. And my grandmother raised me with my mother, and but she did not live in this country. She lived in Colombia. Uh, she was like our pioneering, uh, our matriarch, because she was the person that came to this country in her 40s, already with two children. And mm. she decided to come to this country with $200 in her pocket. And, uh, you know, that coincided with this open call. My mom had come home for two days and I went to the Bye Bye Birdie open call with her and she had to go back to Columbia to take care of my grandma. And also my mother was suffering from C. diff that she had acquired um, in the hospital taking care of my grandmother. Um, and she had an open wound. And so my mom was also very ill and my grandmother couldn't speak anymore or and couldn't walk. And it was just a terrible time and uh the day that my grandmother died was the day of the final callback for this show and the day that I found out I got this job I couldn't even tell my family because the calling card wasn't working mm. 
the day that, of the funeral. So it's crazy. Yeah. That is a lot going on there. And I would, I have so many questions. I would love to just even jump back a hair to yeah. really kind of unpack <laughs> these things for people, especially young aspiring artists. Um, you know, you talked about how, you know, you're a voice actor, you're, you know, you, you, the, your voice is so important to who you are and the artist mm-hmm. that you are. What was the, like, was there a certain moment where you found the power of your voice or was there a moment that you identified where music became really important to you or the, somebody said to you, you should try singing this or did it just come out of you one day and you're like, I like doing this? What was that kind of magic that happened when you first used your voice and realized you had either fun or power from using it? So... I touched on this lightly before. I was a very shy kid. I sang at home. I was a very shy kid. But, you know, when you sing as a child, you know, it's... My mom wasn't thinking that I was going to be a singer or a performer or anything. Yeah. Uh, she's put me in these musical theater classes, but I wasn't getting any solos because I wouldn't speak. No one knew I could speak. I just, you know, all these improvisations, zip, zap, zop, didn't do anything for me. <laughs> <laughs> And But they would give me these recordings to listen to to learn these sort of ensemble numbers. And I would be belting in the car. And I just was following what felt good. And that's how this began for me. I was following what felt good. And no, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, this is the career path I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just really a question of, oh, this makes me happy. I'm really liking these classes. I'm really liking singing in class. And... Uh, that sort of uh, that innate knowledge as a child of knowing what feels right and what doesn't feel right. So yeah. singing felt right. And that's why I asked my mom this, you know, this smart little seven-year-old saying to her mom, please ask for a solo for me. They won't give me one. Please, please, please. And uh, all the other kids in class were getting solos too. It was like one of these child showcases, 10 sure. kids in a class type of thing. But no one wanted to give me anything because they didn't speak. Of course, I understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a teaching artist now, which is one of the things that I, I do, I teach master classes. Uh, I understand why uh, a teacher wouldn't have put faith in me at that time because I wasn't really showing it in class. I was a bit of a follower and I was just scared to speak up. Uh, but that when I did get that solo and I was given the opportunity, and I think it's all about being given that first sign that you're good at this. Mm-hmm. I took it as that. You know, when they trusted me with it, I wasn't going to let that opportunity pass me by. And yeah. so I learned that song. I obsessed about, you know, the the outfit that I was going to wear. I sang on stage. And uh, once I hit that stage, I felt like a different person. I felt like uh, Allison 2.0. I felt like a, di- an, a, a different version of me. And when that's when I realized as a child, you know, the stage made me feel like the best version of myself mm. and made me feel like I could I could be heard, which I think is such a big, it's something as I get older, I realize, you know, people deserve to hear your voice. People deserve it, to listen to you. you know? It sounds to me, I mean, that's just, it's so true. And I think people, not a lot of people get that opportunity or or feel that they have are comfortable enough to you know really capitalize on the type of opportunity it sounds to me like 
and I maybe this is what's applicable to a lot of people here, is that when you are feeling that sense of freedom, and I think we all have the capacity to be really talented at certain things. Mm-hmm. I have to reckon that you have this innate talent from a young age that you were able to pick up on music. You were able to understand the musicality of things. And, you know, at that young age, you were able to really communicate through music, through maybe things you heard or through your mm-hmm. lessons. Do you feel like that was um, just from being obsessed with music or from just having the freedom to try or from people around you who were really giving you good pointers? Where did you find the skill or the talent coming into the picture or was it just something that was in you? I think that there was something raw, uh, uh, something of raw talent to begin with, but I was very lucky that I had a very... You know, I was raised in a single parent home. My mom wanted me to have every opportunity that she didn't have. You know, she came to this country at nine years old uh, and in the household, in her household growing up, you know, she immigrated from Columbia to Houston and then to New Jersey. It was about survival and it wasn't about frills. Mm. And studying was about getting a secure and steady job, not about following joy. It's a very real thing for a lot of people. And that is the gift that my grandmother and my mother gave to me. My grandmother gave my mother uh, a childhood without violence, a safer childhood, and, you know, a new country of opportunity where she could study, where Mm -hmm. she could become a doctor because my mom, well, she'll never say it because she's incredibly humble. And she's always instilled that into me. My mom is a doctor of psychology and she worked in the school systems for 40 years and she made a good life for me and for us. Um, But basically the gift of my mother and my grandmother is that I can follow my joy and my passion. It makes me emotional really because uh, with what they went through when they came to this country with, you know, racism and stereotypes you know my mom ran home from school every day kids would throw rocks at her and call her spick and that's just Mm. the reality and she wouldn't be allowed into kids homes because they'd say that little latina girl she's not allowed in my house you know Mm. things like that she tells me all of these stories and um you know i never had to deal with any of that And though I've had struggles and while I get sad about the jobs that I don't get or or the things that were promised to me, the favored nations contracts that I've had and and that weren't respected by producers, which has happened. You know, we all have things that have been promised to us for years and have been taken away. And I can count on both hands the jobs that have fallen through my fingers like sand. But I don't know what it's like to go to sleep hungry. Mm And I don't know what it's like to run away from school because kids are pelting you with stones. And that's why I, I think that, again, following my joy is the gift of my parents and my grandparents. And I really don't feel like I have the right to complain. Truly. You have a tremendous capacity for perspective. And that is so important on the... There's so many people that would love to pursue a career in the arts and a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are now afforded that ability and 
that wasn't always the case for a lot of people and a lot of families. And it's such, I think about this, that is something that weighs on me all the time, The how lucky I am to, to, to pursue something that is fun for me that I would do for no money when I think about the stuff that my parents had to do and my grandparents. And, you know, that is a tremendous gift that we are given. And like you said that and and also I want to make a comment here this is an aside just before I forget favored nations means that everybody get pays the same get paid the same and uh to to have that opportunity be taken away from you is uh right that's I'm, I'm correctly also, explained I I think I think I so that is favored nations I'm realize I'm meaning right of first refusal Oh, right of first refusal, which is another even important opportunity when you've worked on something and maybe you've helped develop For years. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when you've worked on something and they would say, yeah, you know, you're going to get the first opportunity to, to work on this and you can say no if you want to. And then sometimes they go ahead and just make the thing without you anyway. So both very important, terms, yeah. <laughs> very important terms, very important terms. But again, it sounds like you have tremendous perspective and the fact that you are able to have that. Maybe it's now. I don't know when that really came apparent for you. The um, recognition of that—that uh, that, you know, you you are able to have the maturity about that in your career. And we were talking about this before off camera a little bit. But you know, it's um, it's a tough gig. And I think when you realize that when you're when you commit fully to this as a career and you're trying to pay your bills doing it, you you need a lot of perspective. You need a lot of maturity to understand how you're going to take care of yourself while pursuing a, a career that is gig to gig for most people doing it. Yeah. And I think also, too, we have to understand that as artists, we're kind of like special snowflakes all <laughs> and not everyone's going to understand us and that i would count our families as that mm. in a lot of cases for a lot of people you know growing up in an immigrant home i was i think because my mom came here so early and she because i was an only child she wanted me to have these opportunities that she never had I think if my mom had had another chance, she probably would have been uh, a genealogist or you know a baker. You know she's now in her retirement, following her passions, and her passion is genealogy. Mm. That is absolutely her passion. She's having that chance now in her sixties, and I think because she came to this country and was more Americanized early. She was more open-minded about jobs because, you know, in a lot of immigrant households, if the parents come a little bit later to this country, the goal is just get the most secure job possible. And in some cases, and I'm, I don't want to generalize here, uh, but, you know, if your parents were laborers, they expect you to do a job with your hands, you know, or, you know, or, and not study. So just go straight to work. So it, it depends on the household, though. Mm. Um you know, uh, so my mom, she was afforded, you know, an education and she didn't get the opportunity to, to study the arts. She wanted so desperately as a child to play violin. So she said, hey, my daughter's going to go sing. Mm. And uh, I don't think she necessarily intended for me to think of it as a career path. But it was very clear that I was a one track mind from the mm. time that I opened my mouth to sing. So... Uh, and then acting sort of, and I think we I, we should talk about this too, because does every performer have to be born with a gift? 
It's an interesting conversation, right? Because I think a lot of people think that they do and they think that they have to be born from the womb as, you know, the gift for everybody to see. And I, I resonate with the opposite of that. I felt like I couldn't have been less talented when I started out. I felt like I had no talent. I felt like I was doing something that I really enjoyed doing, but I had to work really hard to figure out how to do it. I struggled a lot early on. I had, yeah. and I and I give, I, I, I credit a lot of what I went through, and I'm curious what it is for you, through sheer, um, a lot of what I have done, just for your own perspective, is I experienced what my parents didn't have and their tremendous heartache of their suffering and hard work. And a lot of, I come from a lot of family trauma and that's, that's, I've talked about it a little bit, but it's a lot of, you know, a lot of interfamily, uh, confrontation, aggression and things. And so I saw a household like that. And it's weird to think like, yeah, I'm going to pursue the arts and that's how I'm going to avoid, you know, getting into a situation (laughs) like that and I'm going to help my family. But that was my, in my way, I always thought that I wasn't really talented in anything, but I felt like Mm -hmm. I had a capacity for vulnerability. So I wanted so badly. That's the job. That is the job. job. So it's a very weird way of of framing things. And I thought through my vulnerability, I'm going to be as vulnerable as possible to, to tell the truth, like that came to me in college. What, what about for you? Where's, you know, how, how did that, when you say you had a, a fire towards something, where did that fire or one trackness, what, what was that from? It's about following joy for me and sharing yeah. it. That's what it's always been. You know, uh, I've always wanted to share this joy that I feel when, uh, when I'm sharing stories, because that's what really, what we're doing as artists, sharing stories. And I, I'm a tall tale teller, and I don't mean that as liar. I'm a tall tale a tale teller because I come from a long line of people who, who did just that. You know, I don't come from a family of artists per se, but my grandparents would force us to listen to poetry at the dinner table yeah. when we were in Columbia every summer, and they would sing to us and make us sit through it and sit through long stories of their childhood. And so for me, I think that the, while I don't, you know, I don't think I was born and was like, I'm going to be an actor. (laughs) It wasn't for me. Uh, But it was telling stories um, and, and sharing, sharing joy in that way is how I, I think I connected with it. I hope I answered your question. Yes. Um, But, but that's how I think I was connected to it. But, um, I also wasn't, I, I want to connect with you on the fact that uh, I don't believe I was the most natural actor to begin with. I was actually rejected from my first agency meeting, which I had when I was 13 years old. Mm. They told me, so um, here in New Jersey, there's something uh, called the Paper Mill Playhouse Rising Star Awards. Uh, uh, and uh, I was born and raised here in New Jersey and uh come from a school district an Abbott school district which if I don't know if it's in other states but it just generally means a very um, a disadvantaged school district where there is less funding and so there was no funding for the arts our shows were not the best but what we, town did you grow up in I'm sorry um I grew up in Union City New Jersey I was born okay. in Hoboken New Jersey though Right near, Wikipedia right outside has of... it wrong. Wikipedia ah. is wrong. Uh, they said, you know. Uh, but yeah, I was born in Hoboken, raised in Union City, New Jersey. And, um, you know, I 
Paper Mill came to our shows, but never nominated us for anything. We weren't big budget. We, you know, we just had a lot of heart and a lot of yeah. raw, you know, desire to put on a show in the middle of the gymnasium. Um, you know, rehearse while having, you know, volleyballs pelted in our faces or baseballs <laughs> or whatever was in season. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, this casting director came to my, well, not this casting director, but this rising star judge came to my show when I was 13 years old and said, uh, you know, we're not going to nominate you for anything, but we think that you, uh, this agent should see you. And so the agent came to my show and then I got a meeting with her and then I, I built up, I built this up so much. I think that was the first moment where I really felt pressure to, uh, I must succeed at this thing, you know, um, uh, so that I can become, you know, a star or whatever it is. And, yeah. uh, uh, she gave me some TV film copy and she said, you are too dramatic. You know, you, the kids don't act on Broadway, which now we realize is an absolute farce. And, but at the time, there weren't as many kids on Broadway. Yeah. And so she said, I'm not going to sign you, but I'm going to send you to this TV film acting teacher. And at the time, it was such a burn, such a painful experience for me. I cried all the way home. Mm. Um. This agent also, she was incredibly uh, discriminatory towards the place where I'm from. Uh, she mm. was basically saying that she was afraid to walk down the street, which I've had, uh, I've dealt with a lot of that just because it's a very, I come from a very densely Latino area. It's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Lat Latines is what we would call it now, what people would call it, but, um, you know, uh, uh but it's a very Latin neighborhood, and um, I come from a sanctuary city where it's 98% Hispanic here. Yeah. Um, and so it was a mixture of her saying, aren't you afraid to walk down the street? Aren't you afraid to be where you're from? And then also saying, you know, you can't act and I won't sign you. It was very painful. And that was my first experience um, with an agent. But it turned into this incredible blessing because... The acting teacher she referred me to was my mentor for 15 years. And he, his name was Peter Miner. He mm. taught at the T. Schreiber studio yes. in New York City. And he not only was my teen acting coach, he became uh, my private acting coach for all of my college auditions and all of my college musicals and plays. I was getting coached always for everything. <laughs> I, would, I would try my best. I would take the train from school. I went to Montclair State University and and go see him and uh and he took me through to my first lead in a feature film and um he passed the week that the pandemic started and uh, it was an incredible loss but from i think pain and rejection there can be the beauty of uh i think a new start uh, uh and and that that rejection turned to be into the best blessing for me because I didn't want that agent. I didn't want that agent who wasn't kind. Yeah. <laughs> she was kind to send me to Peter. Uh, but, you know, I, in that way, life sort of guided me in the right path. And also I got a couple of years to just be a kid and not be some kid trying to pursue a thing. I got to be, you know, a kid that was studying, but also going to school and, you know, spending time with my friends, going to birthday parties and yeah I, I 
And I, when I hear, you know, kids in wait, and this was before the pandemic too, ki- hearing kids in waiting rooms talking to each other about what bookings they're getting and they're like, what, eight or nine years old? That's instilling in them this, it just, it just sucks the fun out of everything. And I'm sorry to all the stage moms that are out there that may be listening to this, but you got to let your kid be a kid. Mm. Because once this, uh, these rejections come in, I mean, you might be saying that it's, you're creating a t- uh, thick skin for your kid. But um, I, I would say let them enjoy the sweet and short season that won't last. And enjoy, and you enjoy it as the parent, too. Uh, so, yeah. We're, <laughs> it's a sweet, it, we're, short season. <laughs> yeah, we are, it, it, as we were talking about with social media and everything, the expectation for almost like excellence and instant fame is so... Uh, in our faces all over the place. And then we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing people become overnight successes. We're seeing, regardless of talent sometimes, sometimes with immense talent, it's it's all different flavors of success or notoriety. So I yeah. think uh, a lot of stage parents find you know, there's I've different layers. I've known a lot of stage parents. I've seen the the dark side of it, where it's parents, you know, trying to have their child become the success for them, and for them to become the financial, you know, um, savior of a family. I've seen you know parents that are very supportive. It's a very interesting thing um, to look at. I'm curious for you, you know, the golden ticket I think is especially for a young kid is getting on Broadway I mean that's kind of the golden ticket for most people who grow up around a a city area that has uh, you know theater and that's the love and I I know there's a lot of stuff that happened around that opportunity for you getting on Broadway you know especially with the loss Mm -hmm. in your family but can you talk to me about like did you even recognize that you had achieved like the pinnacle of what many people who are interested in doing theater are are trying to get? Like, did that, did that like the reward of being on Broadway, did you feel the power or did you feel the, the legacy that you were becoming a part of? Ah, <sighs> so interesting. Uh, so I'm going to talk about my final callback for this show. My grandmother had just passed away and then, um, I think the same day and Mm. I had never been to the city alone up to, you know, so uh, my best friend's mother actually taught me how to take the bus to New York and, uh, you know, the day before. And we went on the bus together to New York because I was alone. My, my mother and my aunt were both caretakers for my dying grandmother. They had to go to the funeral. Um, also around this, they actually didn't tell me that my grandmother had died. I actually found out from phone calls from people. So also that feeling of semi-betrayal of not being told and then finding out. So I was dealing with a lot of grief. Um, yeah. Uh, I actually messed up my call back and I asked for a second try. I messed up. They were trying to vocalize me. And, and, and I, I think, you know, I'm not saying that I was blasé about it, but I think I had a really early sense of what really matters and what really doesn't hmm. because of that loss. Mm. And I was like, I can have another try. My grandmother just died. My my family, you know, and for me, she was more than a grandmother. She raised me. The matriarch, as you said, yeah. Yeah, she raised me and she, um, for a girl who was raised without a father to, uh, and, you know, it, she was just integral for me. 
It was the first major loss of my life. So I think I, I, when I got the call, I was dealing with a tremendous amount of grief and yes, I was so happy and it, uh, but it felt like, um, felt like a gift from my grandmother more than it felt like walking into any sort of, you know, like what everyone dreams about. It felt like a gift to help me through the grief. Yeah. And also, um, it afforded me because I had to leave school for six months um, to do this opportunity. I moved back home and was able to be with my mother and, you know, uh, be a comfort to her during, you know, the most difficult time of her life. And uh, so it, I, I, when we say, you know, did, did I did I recognize the huge gift of it? I I think I recognized it more when. I walked onto that stage for the first time and looked up at the lights and I just felt her everywhere. I felt my grandmother everywhere. It just felt, I felt the gift of it and not necessarily, you know, I, my light, my eyes weren't shining with, you know, like Tony awards or yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was more like, um, uh, stepping, you know, I, I felt that she had ushered me, the fact that she died on the same day that I, you know, was going in for this final interview where I had to sing and act, you know, it almost felt like something else was taking over. Yes, I was, I, I was dealing with a lot, but it almost like she carried me throughout my life and finally carried me into the next step of my life that she sadly didn't get to see mm. in this world, see me through. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it's an odd, um, it's such a it's such an interesting question you know like i i dreamed about it since i was a child but you know my family had just fallen apart and i i realized what 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 actually like sort of mattered and i was grateful for it but it it took me a little bit of time to really recognize you know what a big deal it is and you know what a huge responsibility it is to be doing eight shows a week um you know and uh i had to grow up i had never taken the subway before even mm. though i was from you know i had never i'd never taken the bus by myself into the city it was just a huge learning experience so there was a lot happening at the same time uh, of this you know incredible opportunity and this incredible joy uh you know learning to toughen up because now you're in the big city and you're from you know a small town uh, mm. <laughs> so the yeah it was it was a huge opportunity and now looking back on it i'm like wow you don't really realize what you have in that moment until you really look back at it and really, you know, dig in. Well, you had, I had, I I empathize so much and understand that experience. I think when you lose someone who's very close to you, again, someone who has tremendous perspective, I, I sense that from you. You have real perspective of the things that matter in life and even hear you talking about it, you know, at this age, I'm just starting. (laughs) I try. Well, it's, it's, you know, we we assign all of these benchmarks especially as actors like if i don't do this then i'm a failure if you know i'm not worth it if i haven't been on a show or if i haven't gotten this by this age we have so we create so many benchmarks and i lost my father through the pandemic and at that moment it was i appreciate it and i had lost people before and you know i've had grandparents that i weren't that that weren't really family members i that weren't really involved in my life that i had lost but it was the first time where i had that similar feeling to where someone who is integral into my life and a part of yeah. and a part of me and you start realizing like oh 
this is what matters, the human experience and the people around you, because those are the people that are with you when you're not working. Those are the people who are with you when you're not on set, when you don't have that success and everyone on Which social media. Which is actually media. like 90% of the time, yeah. right? And no More, one knows that out in the world, you yep. know? <laughs> that's that's the life you live and the type of person you are every day. And I think we get caught up in this idea, especially starting out, that you know once you once you start working as an actor, oh, you'll just be on this show for all the time in three months, and then you have to run over and do a movie, and then you know on that off time I'll be doing a play, and that your life will be a constant, you know, uh, uh, you'll have constant attention to or or you know stimulus there'll be constant stimulus of acting and work but there's so much downtime and it's that's why you see a lot of yeah. artists who are very confused with what to do and they're, they're experiencing depression and anxiety in weird ways because you start associating your life and your success and your value by your work and um, I absolutely struggle with that and I know that we're you know I, I don't want to make myself seem like I'm a graduated spirit no 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 you know what i mean but but uh we all deal with that and that's why therapy is so amazing that's why there are so many great books out there like the artist way uh which is i live by that book i'm actually on book two i'm in the middle of walking in this world i think i'm on week 10 or 11 right now it ends at week 12 and i'm like I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have my morning pages. Yeah, morning pages. Um, You know what I mean? So it's, uh, I think it's a really slippery slope. But when you start, uh, when you start saying, you know, I'm only worthy if I'm working. I'm only worthy if I'm, you know, uh, famous. I'm only worthy if I reach this next pinnacle because then also too, I think that sort of desperation makes you grab and it doesn't make for good auditions, good work or a good life. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) So, um, there's, there's something about surrendering to the flow, uh, that I think I'm really responding to right now. And, you know, I had a diff being a hundred percent honest. I had a complete different idea of where I would be this many years into my career Mm -hmm. and I'd rather be honest about that and so for all the people in the back who are like why wasn't I a 30 under 30 (laughs) you know like a 30 most famous under 30 which I think is also while it's wonderful for the people who are awarded those things I think it sort of messages to everyone else that your life is over when you turn 30 yep that yep. you aren't valuable if you aren't on one of those lists. And I know people that have been on those lists. I admire them and I'm so happy for them and in their careers. But, you know, not everyone's journey is the same. And sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to figure out where we are supposed to land. And I'm in a moment of my life right now where um, I've worked as an actor for 12 years. I think longer, actually, um, professionally. I've worked in almost every facet of this business. I started in theater. I have done voiceover and animation, uh, which, you know, we all know is how a lot of us get our health insurance. Mm -hmm. And no one wants to talk about it because people don't think that commercial or voiceover acting is actually acting, which is something that we can go into really deeply. Yes. (laughs) And I've gone into feature films, which is actually, I think, how most people know me at this point, which is actually something that I didn't even start doing until a couple of years ago. Uh, But I've been in so many different facets of the industry. Um, 
and also like during the pandemic because we're all doing voiceover now because we have this amazing opportunity of working from home if we have the space for it uh i sort of dip my toe into audiobooks and have been really stably doing um i do spanish voiceover as well as english so it's great for me because i can represent brands in both languages which mm-hmm. i love um but i've come to this during the pandemic i think with so much time i uh, um you know to think about it and really mull it over i've been asking myself what is my purpose what is my intention what is it that i'm trying to create here truly and you know I'm not sure if acting is my end point, being honest with you. And that's you, scary. Yeah. That's scary to admit. And what, what, is, what was the revelation or the, the decision or any of the moments that led you to come to that conclusion? Wow. This is, it's, like, it's like kind of scary to admit it here. Um, I started singing and it has carried me through my life. And I think that in the last couple of years, you know, I actually released an album, my first record, the year after I graduated college. And it was wonderful. I had a band. We broke up. I decided to transition to theater and started having like really, you know, nice successes. Yeah. Very grateful, you know, and, uh, uh, great reviews and, you know, letting features and, you know, stuff like that. Really cool. Um, but I realized that there are dreams that I've left behind mm. on this search to, you know, try to find the brightest light, you know, and, uh, it, it's, um, this business is fickle. So there are times when it's incredibly joyful I've had joyful jobs and I've had jobs that have robbed me of my joy mm. where I was crying every day after rehearsal. Uh, I found a really sweet spot right now in creating my own work. Mm. And I think that that's my next chapter. That's a very, um, thank you for sharing that. I know that's for you. You're probably still, it sounds like you're navigating even the, 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 yeah, the, the processing Processing of what, what that even means for you. And I, I couldn't be a bigger champion for people into creating their own work. I think that as an artist, even in conjunction with whatever you might be doing, pursuing, whether that's theater on camera, all the list of things that a lot of people here listening to might be doing, whatever your expression of your own work, I think is extremely healthy. It helps you understand a lot about yourself, whether that's being a writer, creating your own music, writing your own, uh, series, understanding how to be behind the camera, whatever it might Mm be, I think it gives you so much more power back in an industry where they want to take all the power away from you and you become a piece or a pawn on the chessboard. Exactly. And like going into it, you know, I am a woman. I am a Colombian woman. I'm daughter of immigrants. I don't see a lot of women doing or making re I, I, I don't see a lot of women on a lot of the sets that I'm on, which is just mm-hmm. a reality. I had a music video shoot this weekend and, uh, it was incredible, but I was one of two total women on set. And that was one of my sets, but I didn't hire everyone. And I love the people that I worked with, but I think that there's, you know, on behalf of men that there's a sort of myopia. You don't really see it until you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was executive producing, but I didn't, I, I didn't produce. And, 
and I thought it was an incredible shoot. It was an incredibly blessed day. But, you know, when you, uh, the thing is that one of my sets became a reflection of so many sets I'm on. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you really don't have the power unless you're in the creative control. And even then, you know, we can't have eyes everywhere. I was being the artist and also producing. I didn't hire everyone. I allowed my team to build the team of people. And it was just, they were the best people for the job, sure. But, you know, I think um, the older I get, the more that I realize. Uh, and I, so I'll preface this by saying, so Allison, what, what, um, what is it that you feel now is the time for? I think it's the time for writing for me, songwriting and writing in general, but also film production. And that I've had such a joyful experience creating music videos and producing music videos in, um, in a very strong narrative format. Um, I started doing that in July of 2022, this July. And, uh, it was very scary for me because I'd never done it before, but I kind of sort of came at it with the mind of a beginner. I wouldn't have done it if I really knew how hard it was. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, it was incredibly stressful, but man, what a thrill. And when I was on that set, we were in a Victorian mansion in Lakewood, New Jersey, that I had managed to secure for free. An actual Victorian mansion from a railroad magnate in the 1800s, and I had created this sort of Victorian fantasy scape for for a, a song that I'll be releasing actually in April called Bronte. We're making our film festival debut at the Garden State Film Festival in March, actually. Oh, it's uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of history to talk about fest. there. Yeah, you know, you know about that film fest. We both oh, yeah. won the same award there. Um, but uh, what a thrill when I was on that set, you know. And I was, you know, I saw my crew, I was, you know, being dressed by wardrobe, I was singing, I was dancing. It felt like the perfect marriage of every stage and every life that I've led through this, you know, I suppose very feline career I've had. I feel like I've had so many lives, <laughs> so many lives. Um, it felt like the perfect marriage. I was dancing. I was singing. I was acting. I was behind the camera. I was directing for the first time. I produced. Uh, and I was also getting everyone's crafty orders for the love of, you know, I was doing so many different things. It felt like a perfect marriage and I, it became addictive. And I was like, I want to continue doing that. And so I'm writing the songs also. So I'm composing. And then uh, I liked it so much the first time I did it another time. So that was this past Saturday. We actually did a music video for my upcoming record, which will be out in uh, hopefully by June. But uh, definitely by July because I, I can't keep it any longer. <laughs> I just want to say congratulations. I'm so excited to see and hear everything you're working on. And uh, you, you have all my luck and love and strength for this journey that you are going through for yourself as an artist to find where your passion and where it takes you and where you find yourself down a road that maybe isn't the the one that's, you know, the, the straight ahead path where you might, you know, get off on some detours and find some things about yourself that you didn't know you loved and, and 
find some magic that you wouldn't have explored had you not given yourself the freedom to say, I don't have to be this thing um, that I thought I had to be at this age comparative to somebody else and other successes. So congratulations, and I'm so excited about that. I've listened to pretty much all your music on Spotify, and I absolutely love it. You have such a... You have such... I've always I've always admired you. I've always admired you. We met on a commercial set. I don't know when. Yes! It was very early in our careers. <laughs> I can actually tell you the year. Yeah, can you can. Tell you the year. Please. Yes, I can because I was doing a show off Broadway at the time, and I think it was. Yes, I remember 20, this. I think it was twenty thirteen. Wow. We met in twenty thirteen. I think we met in June of twenty thirteen. Almost ten years a, ago. A United Way commercial. Yes. Where we played high schoolers and we were singing a version of, uh, I think the song was No More Pencils, No More Yes, Boots. yes, yes, School's yes. Out for <laughs> summer. You can actually find this commercial on the internet and it's hilarious. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's, I'm so glad you, I mean, you have a, a more fond memory than I do of it. I was, for me, I don't even think I made it into the final thing, which is just hysterical to begin with. But anyway, that but was. You left a really deep impression on me, Paul. When I met you, I was like, this guy has it together. Like, I'm really <laughs> excited to watch his journey. So I started following you and I'm just like, I, I'm going to, you know, you had like a great spirit about you. So I was just like, I'm going to follow his journey. And, you know, I've got to say that, you know, a lot of the strides that you took inspired me to, if you hadn't won the Rising Star Award at the Garden State Film Festival, I would have never applied in the first place, for example. Um, You know what I mean? And so um, I admired, like, how you were doing your own work, producing your own films, uh, you know, acting, you know, being a component in so many other people's projects, but also creating your own. And now with your own voiceover work, you have a blog, you're, you've also got this podcast, you're doing so much. And I just want to say, you know, as a person who's been out here in the wings watching you, it's been really beautiful to watch. And I'm very proud of you. Truly. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And it goes right back to you because I I was, you might not believe this, but I was only at the beginning of what I was going to say about you. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really, it goes right back to you. I really respected you. And I, I took you, I knew right away you were someone who, had a, a very uh, powerful. You had you had a you had a presence about you, and there was power behind that presence. And I see that in your music, and there's a beautiful power in the the music that you put out because there is there's a lot of moments that are very passionate and very gentle, and then there's a lot of things that have so much heart that there's so much strength that is coming through through that. Um, the way you express that passion and that love, a lot of these, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is about um, very, very vulnerable subjects in your music. And I absolutely love it. And I love that it's not just in English that you explore a lot of the the Spanish language and the, the music that you use. And I think that's a very, I, I'm just excited to see your career um, and whatever further is in your future for you because I know the the last album you had done was in 2019 am I correct in saying that no so my my last single human years was in 2019 and that's actually closer to the it was a single and I released it right before the pandemic hit thinking that the world was going to be normal for me to be working (laughs) on a record and stuff like that it wasn't the case okay Um, but my last record was actually in 2013 so a lot of this music you're hearing was just really a time capsule listening to it now I'm just I can't believe that I did that and recorded most of that record when I was 
graduating college and and figuring that out the sound has graduated so much since then I'm so excited for you to hear the new work you know and I think it's interesting because a lot of people in the music biz and the thing is I'm doing this pure I'm doing this for my joy I think it's really good I think the music's really good I think the videos are fantastic but I'm at a place in my life where I don't really care if I'm famous I care if I'm happy it's just really where I'm at and uh I don't care if I'm famous I care if I'm joy I'm I'm following my joy and uh you know so a lot of people say, you know, you know, delete that old record. But I think that if we don't acknowledge where we've been, where are we really going? Yeah. You know, so I'm going to keep it there for now. You know, watch me like delete it, delete it, you know, at, at, at another time. But uh, the music's really changed and really metamorphosized. And I think people that have listened to my last record will find this next one really refreshing. Yeah. Uh, the record that's coming up is called La Luna, which means the moon. My first yep. record was March Towards the Sun, and the second one is, you know, a full sort of lunar phase, you know, mm-hmm. into the moon. And um, it explores a lot of the beauties, but also the darkness, um, you know, a little bit more of the darkness that, you know, happens as we get older. You know, I wrote so many of those songs when I had, was just, you know, coming out into the real world, I guess. And, yeah. Uh, and was just learning about things for the first time, and and uh, the 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 single, the title single is actually all of the songs are in English except for one, but that song is very important because it's about finding us. You know, you can even in the darkest moments of, li- of life, you can always find a sliver of light, mm. and so that's what the moon is symbolic of. Even in the darkest times. The moon is also also illuminates us just as much as the sun can. So um, I think, and I think that's what makes a beautiful life. I think it makes for richer art, and uh, and um, I'm I'm really looking forward to this next step. And it's not to say that I'm stopping acting. I'm working on a musical project next week. I'm always yeah. auditioning. I have a couple of films in the can. Like I I'm always very happy to be a part of other people's dreams but i think it's a time for me to share my thoughts feelings and share my work and bring that to life too and i don't think that i would have been able to do that if i haven't experienced what i've experienced i would have never been able to produce you know essentially music videos are short films i wouldn't have ever been able to do that if i hadn't been on film sets I wouldn't have ever been able to sing and dance if I hadn't studied those things and had that opportunity or been on those stages or learned to present myself. From the time I was a kid, I used to sing for um, sing national anthems for free from the time I was like eight years old for all of these like governors and like, <laughs> like, you know, like political events and city events. I wouldn't have ever learned how to present myself if I hadn't been learn from an early age how to comport myself in, you know, in front of adults, in front of an audience. And so everything's just sort of coming together in a beautiful way. And it's not how I planned, but I'm going with it and, mm-hmm. and I'm cool with it. So I'm, I'm excited Here for you go. and I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very you. excited. And as someone who has had a life of, of doing film production and, and understanding what kind of collaborative, scary and insanely rewarding experience it can be, 
I am excited for you to experience uh, what what that life, and I mean, you've already had a taste of it, but on whatever scale you want to take that to, it can be some of the most rewarding things in the world to create something with a group of people and to see the final result and to share it with the world or to share it with whoever you want to. Um, I think it's... It's a really beautiful and magical thing to do. And, uh, you know, people always say, go on the weekends, go make some movies with your friends. You don't need a big budget camera. You can use your cell phone if you need to. Just if you want to be a creative, you can create. Just go ahead and start creating. Absolutely. We're the only people that are stopping ourselves because we have this whole idea of how perfect it has to be. And, you know, I'm a Virgo, so I know (laughs) how my mind works. I'm always like, it has to be perfect. But really, um, I think done is better than good in so many cases. Yes. Uh, done, done is better than good. And um, go do your art and go live your life, I think is what I would say. And, you know, find a way for you to continue pursuing the artistic life. Because if this is what you want, it's so worth it. It's so worth it, you know? There's a lot of heartache, too, which, you know, we all acknowledge there's a lot of rejection. I've probably been on... At this point, thousands of auditions. And I've only gotten a handful of them. And some of them have done really well. And I'm really, really grateful for that, you know. Um, But uh, I think if you find the balance between making your own work and then being a part of other people's dreams, then, you know, that's the dream life as an artist, I think. And... um, you never know. Maybe I'll have a production company one day. I do have a screenplay that I wrote during the pandemic that I've also have there. That's a dream for another day. But right now I'm <sighs> focusing on the album. <laughs> Amazing. You're a creative yeah. through and through. And what, what presents it, and I think you're, you're following, um, you're surrendering to the universe and you're seeing what comes. Literally. And as it comes, let it, I, it's really great. I'm, I'm very happy for you. As somebody who has been living in New York City and we were talking a little bit about, you know, having a career as a voiceover, doing commercials and radio and audiobooks mm-hmm. in this world that yeah. a lot of people don't want to surrender to. A lot of uh, the people I talk to are from L.A. now at this point that I've been living at here, but I know that New York life very well. Can you talk a little bit about the experience that you've had and the reward that voiceover has been for you in the New York market and how it's maybe from your eyes been different than the L.A. market or what the things you love about being in New York and the opportunities you're seeing there? Can you just talk about the voiceover experience in the um, tri-state area? Sure. Uh, So I had my first foray into voiceover as a child uh, doing bilingual work for Houghton Mifflin, uh, teaching, uh, teaching people Spanish. My mom and I did this together. My mom is not an actor, but she found this opportunity for us when we were when I was really young and I started doing bilingual voiceover in Spanish and in English, teaching people how to speak Spanish. Um, and in the day, it used to be that you would show up for an audition at a studio and do your audition and then, you know, record in a studio. And that's the way that it was for many, many years uh, um, up until the pandemic. This is actually a funny story. When I actually started doing voiceover, I had no idea there was no camera involved. So I would flat iron my hair to go for voiceover auditions because I thought that there was a camera involved. I had no idea. That's how I learned. But I learned and then I said, oh, there's a microphone here. There's no camera. 
Yeah. And uh, and uh, this is what voiceover is. Um, it's been a real joy and something that I didn't really appreciate until I was kicked off of my mom's health insurance plan at 26. And uh, then it became a real lifeline because the joy of voiceover is getting to bring these, you know, bring your experience and your joy into a script that is, I don't know, 30 seconds, 15 seconds, uh, bringing your own unique and authentic self to a script for a brand, uh, in, from, in my case, in Spanish or in English and getting to work for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, depending on how long the session is or how, um, how the client wants you to deliver the line. Uh, I can only say that during the pandemic, I appreciated it even more because it was the way for us to work and, uh, yeah. building, building a studio was a unique and building a studio alone when you don't have any experience in doing it, it was a really unique and and wonderful thing for me. It showed me that I can do it. And, you know, learning what a DAW is, uh, you know, creating this closet that was full of junk for years uh, and finally making it into a space that I could work in. And essentially, that's how I've been working this entire pandemic. I've done some TV film, yes, but I've supported myself with this booth. Yeah. And, uh, and, I will never not be grateful for it. And I will never not be grateful for the fact that I can do it in two languages. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the Spanish voiceover market, while there are less channels for us, especially on TV, uh, you know, there are still residuals coming in. And I'm so happy that I can express myself in both ways. And uh, it used to be so different. We used to go to voiceover auditions. In, uh, you know, in my case, I would commute to voiceover auditions and have, you know, to commute like 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes another way, just for one minute with a casting director that, and yeah. for the most case, not booking the work. Uh, but now I can literally just pile into my studio uh, at whatever time of night. I was recording until 2.30 in the morning yesterday. Mm. Uh, but there's just a, a beautiful silence and... Um, and oneness that I feel with this studio because I feel so it's not even a studio, but I call it that it's a booth that is six feet tall and not even my entire wingspan wide. Uh, so what can I say about voiceover? A lot of people don't think of it as real acting. I would like to disagree there. I think that if you can't communicate, <laughs> If you can't communicate a story, if you can't put someone, uh, a face of someone you're talking to on the other side of the mic, if you can't, uh, if you can't say something convincingly in 15 seconds, how can you do a play? Yeah. How can you be on camera? And uh, no one knows that commercial work is actually one of the most lucrative forms of work in our business. People don't think about that. You know? I I just had a, an audition uh, today. I did. I just think I just recorded it today, and all the refs that they gave were 
it sounded it couldn't have sounded more unlike the traditional voiceover spot you know they wanted that real raw authentic sound that we see in every spec breakdown right now but i i'm noticing mm-hmm. when i when i do further discovery and i see who are the people that are booking these things a lot of the times it's it's people who don't necessarily have a full on voiceover career. It's people who have understood how to act in that natural way, who understand how to listen and respond and are used to communicating with scene partners, whether on stage or on screen. Because yeah. I think a lot of people who come from a traditional voiceover background, it becomes you and the microphone as opposed to you and your scene partner who just isn't in the same room as you. Yeah. Um, Oh, what a great way to put it. Paul. You know, and it, I, uh, yeah, it's it's so I, I and I'm, I'm seeing that more and more. And I and I from someone like you who's had success in doing theater and on camera and film. I, I wonder if that's something that you try to utilize when you are doing these things, when you do have a do you, you approach it the same way, even when it's a radio or a commercial spot? Are you approaching it as the diligent actor breaking down a script or a set of sides? Is that the way you're looking at it? I simplify it a little bit for myself because I'm a very analytical brain, Mm. very analytical brain. So um, there are a couple of things that I do. I keep pictures of my people in my booth. So I break it down to how do I want to make this person feel? Mm. And what is my verb here? Am I trying to comfort? Am I trying to nourish? Am I telling them I love them through the script? Am I trying to tickle them? Am I trying to cajole them am i trying to turn them off like what is it that i'm doing here who am i talking to uh and try not to sound like a robot those are my three things that i try you know i because there was i think when i was growing up voiceover was it just sounded a little bit more different it sounded a lot more official it was very announcery and um it's funny because i've gotten and I, I'll, I'll just um I've gotten a lot of criticism over the years about my voice, hmm. my speaking voice. And a teacher, a really good teacher recently, and I'll say why I've gotten some things about my voice. I, I'm a singer and I have a bit of a higher pitched voice a lot of the time. I'm very dropped in right now, so you probably can't hear it. But there are times when I'm a little bit higher and a teacher a couple of years ago said something very damaging about my voice saying that I was never going to lead on Broadway or do all of these things because of the tone of my voice, which really was quite hurtful. And then through voiceover, I've learned to love my speaking voice. Love it. Of uh, You know, and because there is a place for every voice in voiceover. You mm-hmm. just have to find your right thing. And it could be animation, which I love and I live in that world a lot. Uh, or it can be commercial voiceover. It can be audiobook. Um, my teacher, and she's a great voice uh, voiceover uh, coach and teacher and mentor. Her name is Deborah Sperling. Um, I don't know if you know Deborah. She's incredible. I, I, her she name floats so around drama. a lot, yeah, especially no, in the New De- York community. Deborah's incredible. I, it was a very emotional experience for me, my first coaching session with her. She was basically saying, you have a beautiful voice, and it's beautiful as it is. You don't have to do anything or try to change it, because for years I was trying to speak so much lower, probably damaging my 
my instrument and trying to hurt myself, you know, it's the same as go with the flow with where you are today and accept it Yeah. and learn to love where you are today and work with that. So that's what voiceover has done for me on a spiritual level, other than health insurance and <laughs> so many wonderful things, you know, uh, and I think people that once turned their noses at it before the pandemic, once the pandemic hit, they were like, oh boy, because I saw, I literally saw the masses yeah. jumping into the voiceover pool once this thing started. And, you know, I'm grateful that I was here before that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the first week of the pandemic, I was like, well, I'm building my booth because I've been working doing this for a couple of years in other people's studios. Why not have my own little booth at home? Yeah, it was so, it, the gates were yeah. definitely, you know, wide open and the, the actors who were out of work on camera, theater, film were, were and still, begging. And still yeah. are because we're not back. We are I just know. not back yet. And it'll the world is very different for our industry. We're all trying to learn how to navigate with it whether it's making your own work or jumping into a different form of acting, we've got to be flexible. Yeah. I, I think that if you limit yourself to thinking you are only one type of actor or even within voiceover, you're only going to read for one thing, then you have eliminated so many other streams of revenue that you could be having. And they all they all boil down to being uh, to acting and to being truthful. So if you've got that component Absolutely. as an actor, I think you can find a way um, w within learning the little tips and tricks and, and the things about each mm -hmm. genre, you know, you should understand what you're reading for. Absolutely. Uh, but there's and understand what you like, Yeah, I think is a big thing. So you can find focus because when people hear this, they're going to be like, oh, I have to have 20 different like career paths or no. like, pursue 20 different things within this. Like I learned pretty early my, my sweet spots in voiceover. I love animation and I love commercial voiceover. Yeah. That's for me. I like that. But many you know, people don't um, even give themselves an opportunity to see if they like it. They just think, oh, I'm going to be an animation voice actor. Or I'm going to do video games. And then they remove that opportunity of falling in love with something absolutely. like audiobooks yeah. or, you know, industrials and thinking, wow, I can I can do this and I'm really good at it and I, I like it and I can pay my bills doing this and, and I can maybe, you know, uh, reap the rewards of something that I wrote off initially because it doesn't have the same cachet or how Hollywood star factor that you might get from being on an animated show or in an anime or a video game. So what do you think about this? You know, it's like the way that I see voiceover is that uh, I see it as like this beautiful day job, this beautiful day job that can, you know, and feed so much of my other passions that happen to also be in the voice realm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it's, I think right now for anyone interested in getting into this industry, it's uh, one of the best day jobs that you can have. I love working from home and I love being in my little studio. Uh, and in terms of cachet, you know, I had a lot of people think that, uh, and we'll go into this again, commercial acting and voiceover acting is not acting. Yeah, It absolutely is. And um, it's. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned people that are non-actors that actually do so much of this work. You know, at my agency, Buckwald, I remember there was an Apple genius bar genius who would come in and do auditions. And because he had all of this tech experience, he had a booth at home. And he was one of the first people I 
new who mentioned ISDN or yeah. you know yeah. or, uh, or, uh, or or IDP uh, what is it IDP IPDTL IPDTL that's it he had IPDTL and he was consistently working and he was just like a regular dude and he booked all of this work and because he used his experiences from his life as a tech genius yeah. at Apple he he was one of the first people doing the thing like probably at the highest level from home yeah and you know it took a lot of us some time to get there maybe because we didn't see it as the full-time thing and boy were we sorry when we when this pandemic happened and we weren't ready for it oh yeah um, so uh so i jumped in head first <laughs> i know you did too when this happened i was like i'm just gonna learn all that i can and yeah you know um for the sake of, you know, being able to utilize your gifts in different ways, we have to be open-minded to that. Use your gifts in different ways. Absolutely. You know? I would love to talk about uh, a gift that was probably for you and one of the gifts that you gave a lot of the people in the world that they know you from is your work in the Netflix movie uh, <laughs> The Week Of, which you got to, you know, you, you're having this title role in an Adam Sandler film and it's it's the dream for many people. That is like, you know, you, yeah. you, you're you dealing all this press. You're with one of the biggest stars in the world. It's got probably one of the most eyes at the time when it released because it's, you know, Adam Sandler. Everything he touches has a, a cult-like, ravenous appetite for people and it was a really... And Chris Rock, I mean, like, it was such... Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, like, it couldn't have been a more... Steve um, Buscemi, Rachel Dratch, like, couldn't be better. You, it was so amazing. <laughs> you, you're surrounded by all of this kind of um, talent and success, and it's a thing on Netflix. Can you just break down as, you know, concise as you'd like here? I know I'm being conscious of your time here. Um, <laughs> you know, getting that opportunity... You know, to, to, to play with these people and to what, what you what was going through your mind after, mm -hmm. you know, booking what many people believe to be and what I'm sure has still been for you a dream role. Ooh, that audition came in just the way any audition comes. It came through my inbox and I thought, cool, I'm auditioning for an Adam Sandler film. Yeah. Probably not going to get it. <laughs> You know, I auditioned for it, but for some reason I saw those dates and I'm like, I'm available. I'm just going to block off those dates in my mind. It was one of these weird things. Wow. You know? And I was like, okay, I'm available July through August of this year. I'll be, you know, this is cool. I went into the audition and I just decided I'm just going to be the most genuine version of myself. You know, um, I started wearing my hair natural a couple of years ago. So I did that. I wore flannel, I wore jeans, I wore boots, you know, the New York sort of fall look. I, I did that. <laughs> Straight um, out of the catalog. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And I, you know, uh, what I love is that Adam Sandler is a man without pretension and I went in without pretension too. And I, since I've seen him on screen my entire life, basically, it wasn't hard for me imagining that my scene partner was him. <clears throat> and I just talk to the reader as if I were talking to Adam Sandler, but who also happened to be my dad in my head. And um, that audition, which actually was in a space where a lot of voiceover and commercial auditions uh, took place. I think it's like on 36th or 37th. And I think it's Melsky's place now, but it was uh -huh. uh, Beth Melsky. Uh, but uh, but it's uh, across the street from like this poke 
place like on between Sixth and Seventh Avenue. Anyway, people listening who aren't in New York are not going to connect to that. I'm trying to connect <laughs> to the New Yorkness of it. <laughs> I do. Um, but I go to this audition, um, and you know, I didn't really think much of it, and then I decided to follow my joy and go visit my best friend for the weekend. Um, and I literally went from there to to uh, New Haven, Connecticut, to have the weekend with my best friend. I was moving him in uh, to because he's a doctor at Yale. And um, I ended up getting the call back a couple of days later while after having that's why I say that fun is the greatest manifester. I, you know, I was with him and I was helping him move in, having my joy full time with my best friend. Got this call back, go into the call back and um, basically did the same thing for Robert Smigel, who's, you know, for those who are listening is Triumph Comedy Insult Dog uh, on Conan O'Brien, and also um, Alan Covert, who is one of the head producers at Happy Madison, but also an actor in his own right. I think his movie was Grandma's Boy. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. He's an amazing person. I, I, I did the same thing for them, and then... I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks and I assumed that the job was not mine. Uh, and I had read the script at this point. It was so funny. Um, I remember I was moving my best friend in and I was just laughing reading the script while everyone else was asleep. You know, we were all on like air mattresses and I'm laughing in New Haven, Connecticut at this script, you know, yeah. a dream role. I get the job while I'm in rehearsal for another show um, for, a, you know, a workshop for a musical. And I went from the presentation of this musical, I was working at St. Anne's Warehouse at the time, and I went from on the subway from the presentation to this musical, and that subway sort of like transported me into this new era of my life. I went to rehearsal with Robert Smigel and Roland Buck the third, who played my fiancé and later husband in the film, and uh, we started doing fittings for wedding dresses. Um, and I lived in Long Island for two months and Adam Sandler was like my real dad. When we did that father daughter dance, it felt like he was my dad. And we just became such a big family. And Robert Smigel is one of the nicest people in the world. Mm. I would work with him anytime, anywhere, which is why I'm saying I'll never quit acting because yeah. I think I just love jumping from happy lily pad to happy lily pad. You know, wherever the joy is, try to find those lily pads, you know. Um, amazing, kind collaborators. And uh, that's what Adam Sandler does. He creates a family of collaborators and he tends to work with a lot of the same people because he's found his sweet spot. And um, being on that set was like a dream and it spoiled me. And, you know, we released the film a couple of months later and uh, I love working with uh, the Happy Madison crew. I'm looking forward to doing it again. And uh, they're all lovely people. There's nothing to say. It was absolutely a dream that has spoiled every <sighs> other set for me. <laughs> well, it's like you're saying, it seems very much like Adam has created um, an environment and a production company where he's only doing things where he has fun. He wants to do what he wants to do. So um, mm -hmm. if you yeah, haven't seen that. And it's inspiring. Yeah. yeah it's, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's really yeah. inspiring to see the people that he surrounds himself with because I think it's something that we should all aspire to surround ourselves with the best and brightest, uh, with the people that make us feel our happiest and most joyful and help us operate at the highest level. Mm. You know what I mean? There's just good energy on all of his sets. Um, and 
people on the outside might be saying, why doesn't he incorporate new people? He does. Yeah. But he also Look at you. takes. Yeah. But he, I, I, yeah, I'm like, I, you know, when he picked me for this shoot, you know, he doesn't know who I am. I met him on the first day of set. That wasn't something that I got because I knew somebody. Yeah. Uh, it was something that I genuinely booked off of a tape. So um, he he has a good sense for for um, good people that are just genuine. And uh, as I, you know, create my own little film sets and work on producing my own work, I think to myself, I want to work with people who want to work with me. Mm. And uh, I think that's what we should all aspire to creating, you know, the most um, it's the best and most conducive thing for our work is to be surrounded with people who want to work with us and who we want to work with as well. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. It is what (laughs) fuels me as an artist to work with people who enjoy not just working with me, even just the collaborative experience and making art that we all kind of enjoy and love and have a good experience doing because there's nothing worse than working on a project that people are dreading and they, they, they're not really in it and you've got to manage egos and expectations when everybody's on board and they're all collaborating and people are working towards a common goal and they like each other. It, that that's when you start finding magic to happen. Not when it's Absolutely. like, you know, this person needs this or, you know, this person doesn't even really want to be here. The list yeah. goes on. But Allison, thank you so much for coming thank on the show so today much. and sharing so much. You truly are um, one of the brightest lights that I, I, I know. And granted, we don't get thank to see you. each other, unfortunately, as much as I would love no. to. But I, I from the, the blessing that is social media, I do get to see your light shine digitally. And uh, Thank you so much, Paul. And Paul, may I drop a little, uh, like, a, what do they call it? Those plugs when you plug something? Please plug. Please plug. <laughs> please. Uh, so one of my uh, my first single in a really long time is coming out next Friday. So that's uh, February 17th. I'm doing, I'm releasing a, an acoustic cover of Landslide. So people can listen to that. And it'll be a good sign of what's to come in the coming months for my own record. So uh, if you're listening out there, I hope my music can be a comfort uh, to you and a soundtrack for whatever it is that you're pursuing in your own life. So heck yes. <laughs> That's Allison strong on Spotify. And is your YouTube Allison strong as well? Where else can people find this? Pre- Absolutely. Um, so if you follow me at Allison T strong on Instagram, you'll get all of the updates or you can sign up for my mailing list at allisonstrong.com and all of my socials, everything is up on allisonstrong.com. Go, 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 go. Allison, you have been fantastic. I truly appreciate your honesty and uh, your strength and sharing your stories with us. Uh, It has been an amazing experience getting to chat with you after all this time. Um, I know we stay connected as much as we can, but truly I miss you and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm excited for the music video and everything. So, uh, yeah. I can't wait to watch it. There are so many of them. There are three of them coming, so get ready. I'm waiting eagerly. Allison, everybody, Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. Take care. I know we didn't get to talk a lot about it, but please check out The Week Of on Netflix. It's um, I'm just so proud of Allison and her work in that movie, and it was an opportunity for her to really shine. It is, um, I think, only a snapshot of her capability in addition to all of the musicals and plays and TV series that she's done. Uh, she is just really talented and as you could probably tell down to earth and a genuine human being and soul, uh, very gosh, time, 10 years, it's been 10 years 
that I've known her and got to watch her career also flourish. And it's so brave and inspiring to watch somebody find different nooks of this industry that they want to play in. There is not, you know, people think like I'm an actor, I have to keep acting and I have to keep doing this one thing because I can't just be other things as well. I can't be an entrepreneur and an actor at the same time. I can't be a baker and an actor. I can only be an actor. It's so ridiculous. Like you can continue to act and also pursue other passions and loves. And I think that's very, it's one of the most beneficial things an actor can do is live and experience and try different things. <laughs> try painting, try singing, try different instruments, try and learn different languages, try and experience different cultures, try and do everything you can to get out in the world and experience what a character you might play will experience. So uh, on the Points of Experience podcast, we are talking about experience. Yeah. Allison Strong, everybody. Uh, please like and subscribe. Leave us a review on Apple, uh, on Spotify, wherever you so choose. YouTube comments are really helpful for us, and we will continue to keep bringing on amazing guests and having some engaging and wonderful conversations about the experiences and beauty of life. So uh, thank you all once again, and we will see you all on the next one.